let's get right into this. We have been going through the three angels' messages at night and in the morning to some extent. Um, and so we're going to wrap up today with this one. Um, our scripture reading is taken from Revelation chapter 14, starting at verse 9. Revelation 14 verse 9 says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Our message this Sabbath morning, is in, uh, this Sabbath afternoon is entitled, Marked for Death or Sealed for Life. Marked for Death or Sealed for Life. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share your word. One last time here in Botswana, Lord, I ask that you make me just a nail upon the wall. A rusty, sorry nail, Lord. And upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Let the church say amen. And amen. All right. We're going to get right into this thing. We're going to go right back to Revelation 14, verse 6. We'll read this again. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. This is the first angel's message we talked about two days ago. Having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. From this, we said there are four great lessons from the first angel. Four lessons, critical lessons. And around the time of 1844, this message was proclaimed with great power. It is the message that allows the separation and the collapse of Babylon in the sense that Babylon's uh, lying, deceptive ways were revealed when in fact biblical truth was, re was, was released into the world and men rejected it. So the lessons, number one, the gospel is everlasting. We talked about the gospel, righteousness by faith. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Uh, but that faith without works is also what? It's dead. So the gospel is everlasting. Christianity in the pure biblical form is different from every other religion in the world because you cannot work your way into salvation. Amen? It's different. It's unique. If you study some religions, I talked about how you can get to nirvana. You got to work your way into nirvana. But if you fail, you get sent back to the beginning as a bug, like a slug or a roach or something. And then you got to work your way all the way back up. And I don't want to be a roach. I'm going to stay a Christian. Amen. All people are to receive it. And we talked a difficult subject around race and race relations. I gave my testimony of how I myself became a black racist. And what God had to do to liberate me from hatred of other people and the idea that based on my skin color, I was better than someone else. Are y'all getting that? All right. The hour of his judgment has come, the unique Adventist doctrine, the pre-Advent 
uh, judgment was, is, the, is the third lesson. And of course, worship him because he created all things. And so we, we talked this week a bit about the lie of evolution. And that if man had kept the seven-day Sabbath, Darwin's evolution would never have had, been able to get a foothold on earth. The consequences of evolution is we have stripped man, especially these younger generations, of all moral compasses. And now in America, for example, we have people walk into places and just shoot up everybody. But the second angel comes in in verse 8 and says, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. She corrupted the world with false doctrine. And when we went to Revelation 18, we found that she was a political, religious, and economic power. And part of her economic power, in fact, was the sale of, of slaves and the souls of men. And I walked you through how it is that the, that the, that the Catholic Church and then followed uh, in suit many of the Protestant denominations, pretty much all except the Quakers, and then uh, uh, actually went against slavery. But uniquely, according to the book, Slavery and Catholicism, uh, uniquely, the Adventist church, even before it was formally organized, was always against slavery in the United States. And that was one of the ways I show you the sign of who Babylon is. But we're going to jump to the third angels, and to set up the third angel, we got to go back to four other angels. Yep, Revelation 7 and verse 1 says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, or, nor on any tree. The Bible says that there are four angels, and they are holding back the winds of strife. When I was at Oakwood, and, and some of the great preachers would preach on this, they spoke about these winds being a lot of different things, a lot of different ways. But one of the things that would always stuck with me is that the winds are literally the consequences of sin entering the world. God, as terrible as the world is, God has been holding back from allowing the full weight of the consequences of sin to destroy the planet. These angels work tirelessly as it is to hold back destruction. One preacher said, but it seems like sometimes they open their hands up too wide and some of the wind slips through. Because we have these things, and I showed you this earlier in the week. This is the, the, the war that happened in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Some reports say as many as five million people died. It was called Africa's uh, Great World War with all of the factions that joined in. And I want to tell you that in America, it didn't even make the news. Here's a, a graph I showed earlier in the week of all of the... the, the, um, the um, uh, the shootings that happened um, in America, and these, this, is a, this is a little bit old now because we have so many that you can't even keep up anymore, and you can see that it is increasing. If you look at it, it is increasing in frequency. In fact, I told a story of how I took care of two of the victims from the Las Vegas shooting. One was actually shot, one was running and broke her ankle and ran a mile on a broken ankle, and she came to see us um, in our clinic in California, um, and I could tell you that this thing is for real. There's strife. But I also quoted where Ellen White says, listen, when we see these things happening, we as Christians are not to panic. Instead, we should hear Jesus' voice say, do not be afraid, it is I. 
There are warnings telling us that Jesus is about to return, amen? And I even showed this one from the um, U.S. Geological Society of Earthquakes between magnitude six and eight, and it shows that in fact, just as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, there will be an increase in earthquakes in diverse places. I show these slides for the purpose of, a, of helping uh, those who are still wondering if they can trust their Bible to know the Bible is exact. Jesus says that one of the signs will be an increase in earthquakes, and in fact, and they would be everywhere, a secular group will tell you that, in fact, that is true. The word of God can be trusted. So the four angels are holding back the winds of strife, and another angel, a fifth angel, jumps on the scene. And this angel, John, says, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. And this is what he said to those four angels. Here's what he says. He says, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees. Don't hurt them until what happens? Until we have sealed the servants of our God, where? In their foreheads. He says, hold on. No one is to be touched. Nothing is to happen until God's servants are sealed. And I was in a place where horrible hurricanes happen. And they were very worried about a hurricane happening, one of the small islands off the coast of Florida. And I was preaching at a church, and I said, man, how do you guys live here when all these hurricanes happen and this whole island could just be blown away? And they said, listen, we're not worried when, when there's more than 10 of us. What do you mean there's more than 10 of you? They said, don't you remember when, when, the, when, when, Jesus pre, when the pre-incarnate Jesus came to Abraham? He said, if I could have just found 10 righteous, I'd save the city. He said, see, there's at least 15 of us. We should be okay. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, that as the cities get more wicked, as the saints move out, in the next 10 years, we are going to begin to see wholesale destruction in cities. Till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. Why? In their foreheads, church. Because that is where you find the frontal lobe, right here. You see that? I should have made that more clear, but see that? Brother Bredal talked about this earlier, but as a physician, I want to talk about it a little more. The frontal lobe of the brain is where your, your personality really sits. It is the part of the brain that makes you human. The human brain is 33% frontal lobe. The next smartest animal, the, por the porpoise or the chimpanzee, next two smartest animal groups, their frontal lobe is only, their brain is only 13, one three, 13% frontal lobe. God made the human with a much larger frontal lobe, one that we do not even fully use. Isn't that incredible? Now watch this. It is because we have this larger frontal lobe that humans are able to worship God the way that we do or can. The frontal lobe is critical, and I'm going to show you just how critical it is here in a second. In fact, this slide shows you the frontal lobe. Here, right behind us, it would be your forehead bone here, right? Right in here is your frontal lobe. What the first thing the scientists say the frontal lobe allows humans to do is to reason. Your ability to think critically resides in your frontal lobe. Also, your planning, language, long-term memory impulse control, problem solving, emotions, judgment, motor function, initiation. Look at the last one, social and sexual behavior. 
all regulated in the frontal lobe. And that is important because there's a chemical your brain releases in the frontal lobe called GABA. It's a long name, it's abbreviated GABA. And what GABA does is it allows you to behave yourself. It doesn't make, it allows you to not just do whatever you think comes to your mind, not just say whatever comes to your mind, not be inappropriate in public. You probably have some friends that are running low on GABA, I know. We'll talk about this more in a minute, but alcohol and marijuana both block the release of GABA. We'll come back to that. It's relevant because this is where, uh, as Brother Bradal said earlier in the week, this is literally where character is developed in an individual. So your character, your personality all develops here based on all of these things. Habits are formed in here. All of that happens. It is what makes you, you. This is why you're sealed there. In fact, the reason that part of your brain is so important is because you can reason. It says here in Isaiah 1.18, come now let us do what? Reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be, like, be red like crimson, they shall be as what? The, book, the Bible says this clearly. Your salvation is connected, it is tied to your ability to reason. Why? Because the great monkey wrench of the universe is the fact that God gave each of us the ability to choose. It is the power of choice that makes the whole, is the fuel of the whole great controversy. Starting with the fact that Lucifer, in a perfect position in heaven, could choose to rebel. It is the power of choice. And why? Why would God give you the ability to choose? It almost doesn't make sense. He could have created all of us, not robots, but organic material that only did what he said. The first, the commandment that Jesus says, the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and what? And all your soul. That's the first and great commandment. Here's the secret to why your frontal lobe is so important, why this verse is so important. It is because there are a couple things God can't do. Number one, we talked about lying earlier this morning. God can't lie. If God said right now the sky is brown, guess what would happen? Sky would just turn brown. He can't lie. But it's something else God can't do. He can't force you to love him. If God made you love him, it would instantaneously cease to be love. The reason I believe that the, the, the imagery of Christ marrying the church and the church being Christ's bridegroom, uh, uh, bride, bride is, and he being the bridegroom, is because in, it is in that very same uh, kind of methodology it takes uh, for a man to actually win a woman's heart. You can't walk up to the first woman you see, young men, and she might be beautiful, but you can't walk to her and say, guess what? You love me now. You might get slapped. Love has to be a choice. God wants you to choose. And so he gives you a frontal lobe with which you can choose to love him. That's what he wants from you. So it's so much so that Ephesians 6, Paul says, Ephesians 6, 17, Paul says, look, and take the helmet of salvation. Why? Because salvation is tied to the head. What is the job that a helmet does? It protects your brain. Isn't that deep? You see the connection? Salvation is given as a helmet because if you're going to be saved, your frontal lobe must be protected. 
your ability to reason, to choose, faith, all of it resides in your frontal lobe. If the just shall live by faith, faith happens here. In fact, you get some help. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of the truth, you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Once you believed, look what happens. You were then sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. What happens in the frontal lobe where GABA resides, where dopamine works, where serotonin works, all of which we're going to talk about a little bit today, what happens is when the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit of God, begins to move on the mind and heart of a person, it actually works with the neurochemistry of the human brain to allow you to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. When you become a Christian and you allow yourself to be filled with the Holy Ghost, the very way your brain works changes. That's why you can meet our brother the chef has been phenomenal all week. I've enjoyed every one of his messages. And he said today, when he said he used to own a casino, I was blown away. I said, whoa, people in America blow, own casinos. We usually look at them as pretty grimy. And look at how sanctified the brother is now. But guess what? He allowed the Holy Spirit to fill him. Like I did when I used to go looking for all African nations, all African people's revolutionary party meetings in Atlanta, Georgia. When I was running with the Nation of Islam and learning from the Rastafarians. So one day God touched me and hit me with the Holy Ghost and I realized God isn't looking for a color of people. He's looking for a character filled people. We have the character of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit did that work. A mark which angels read. What is the seal of the living God which is placed in, their, in the foreheads of his people? Ellen White says, it is a mark which angels but not human eyes can read. For the destroying angels must see this mark of redemption. I like that. Because it's not just the seal that says you're gonna do right going forward. It's a seal that says you have been redeemed. The seal of the living God is a mark of redemption. And guess what church? I needed to be redeemed. That's why it's one of my favorite hymns, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. The seal of God is a sign that you've been redeemed. In fact, Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of what? Redemption. See how the Holy Spirit works in the mind, changes you, and in that process, you are redeemed. You're not simply redeemed because God takes a sinner and moves him out of where he was. You are redeemed because God takes the sinner and changes the sinner and moves him out from where he was. Our redemption isn't simply a geographical relocation of, what, of who we are. It is literally a transformation. There's somebody different after you meet Jesus Christ. Ellen White goes on, manuscript 173 from 1902. She says, just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen. Look at what she says it is. She says, but it is a settling into the truth both intellectually and spiritually. And I like that because there are a lot of us, you can study the doctrine. There are people I know 
who know our doctrines, so they are intellectually, they have our truth, but spiritually they've not fully digested it. It's not one or the other, it's both. You've got to know the doctrine. That's, that's, that you have to. But unless you allow the Holy Spirit to completely take over, that, that the application of that knowledge will never happen in your life. This is why we see people shaken out of the church, people who we know knew all of our doctrines, who are good Adventists, and then all of a sudden they believe an anti-Trinitarian doctrine. They start to believe Jesus is not God, and they walk away and say, how could this happen to this person? They had an intellectual knowledge, but they never spiritually submitted fully to the Holy Spirit. Listen, every day, when you pray, you ought to be praying for the power of the Holy Ghost to take over in your life. We do not pray for the Holy Spirit like we should. We do not talk of the Holy Spirit like we should. The Holy Spirit is critical because it is what actually does the sealing. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will do what? It will lead you into all truth. That is a intellectual and spiritual truth. She says, so that they cannot be moved. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking, it will come. Did you hear that? When the winds blow, of those four angels are holding back, one of the things the winds are going to do is it's going to shake some folk out. Look at what Ellen White says back in 1902. She says, indeed, it has begun already. The judgments of God are now upon the land to give us warning that we may know what is coming. She says, listen, in fact, when you see these catastrophes, these disasters, these heinous crimes, understand every one of them is a warning from God to be ready. Jesus is whispering to us like he whispered to the disciples on the ship as he walked on the water, be not afraid, it is I. But there's another mark, which brings us to the third angel's message. So the first one is the seal of the living God. Put in your forehead because this is where you think. This is where all of your reasoning happens. This is where you will love God with all your heart and soul. This is where you will allow the Holy Spirit to take over and change you. It happens all right here. The seal of God is only given in one place. Right there. But there's another mark. Revelation 13, 16 says, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand, or where? Or in their foreheads. Now, wait a minute. Why does the devil get to place his mark two places, and God only can place his in one? You know the devil always has an advantage? Because he can lie. He gets an advantage because he can lie. Now, don't worry. God is all-powerful, so he doesn't really have an advantage. But, you know, the devil can use deception. God must always use the truth. And in this case, uh, the scripture says here that you can receive the mark in your right hand or in your forehead. So there are those, don't miss this, who will know the truth and ignore it and lead others to ignore it. They will receive the mark of the beast here. And what we've been studying at night with, with Professor Vyth, you can see there's some folk who really actually know what's going on. They are purposefully leading tens of thousands, yea, millions of souls into perdition. They will receive a mark here. But then there are those who receive the mark in their hand because they are followers of those who receive it in their forehead. And here's what's crazy. In America, I, I don't know if it's happening here, social media has so taken over our young people that all they talk about, when I go to churches in California, you know the young people say? They want you to know who they follow. I follow Kim Kardashian. I said, you shouldn't. 
I follow this person, I follow that place. In the last presidential election where Trump just won in 2016, there was a study that came out and it said, in fact, the generation we have now is concerning because unlike other generations, they are not figuring out what they believe politically or in social issues by themselves. Rather, they go online to Twitter and, 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 and Facebook and, and, and Snapchat and all this stuff. And what they do is they find out what the people they follow believe, and then they choose to believe something. Are you getting that? So in other words, we are raising a generation, at least in America, I don't know if it's gotten here like that yet, we are raising a generation of young people who are not exercising their frontal lobe power to critically think. And if they follow the devil, plan and, and wind up in perdition, the mark they get will be here and not here because they will be mindless. We talked about sports last night a bit. They will be mindlessly more concerned with who's going to win the World Cup or the Super Bowl while they simply walk like zombies into perdition. Revelation 14, 9 again, and the third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, look at what the consequences are. This is the third angel giving a staunch warning. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And then the, then the Bible says, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. If you reject God, there is a serious consequence of punishment where the holy angels and the lamb will see it. But verse 11 says, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. We talked about this this week. This does not mean that they will burn in hell forever, but the consequence, the result of their punishment will last forever. Now watch this. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. We know that eventually the mark of the beast is Sunday worship. I'll get back to that probably later on, but, but here's the thing. If you reject God and ultimately reject the rest that he offered you on the Sabbath, isn't it interesting that part of your punishment for rejecting Sabbath rest is that you have no rest day or night? Ellen White says Sunday keeping is not yet the mark of the beast and will not be until the decree goes forth, causing men to worship this idle Sabbath. The time will come when this day will be the test, but that time has not come yet. And it still has not fully come yet, except there are parts of the world where they're working on it. The day is coming. This is from the National Catholic Register in the United States. It says, taking Sunday seriously. Poland leads the way. The European nation's new law sharply restricting Sunday shopping provides an opportunity to take a closer look at American habits. And when you scroll down from this article and you look at the comments, I was blown away. Even though I'm an Adventist and I know that I believe that there's a Sunday law coming, I couldn't believe the comments where people were saying how they need to strategize to make a national Sunday law a reality. And here's the kicker. America set up for it. Because our Supreme Court, there's only nine judges on our Supreme Court. Five of them are Catholic. It, they already have a majority. It went from six Catholics to five, but the one Protestant that Trump put on the, on the Supreme Court first actually was trained in Catholic Jesuit schools. 
So technically, we have six Catholics in the Supreme Court and three Jews that are probably secular Jews. That means that if the Pope decided that for the sake of the environment, we must make Sunday sacred, you can watch sports on Sunday. And it's a family day, and by reducing carbon emissions on that day, as we talked about, everyone in the world will benefit. It is for the common good, as was said last night. And guess what happens? The law can pass. Because the highest court in the United States, six of the nine would have some form of allegiance, if not direct allegiance, as well as uh, the head of the house right now and the vice president of the United States would all have direct allegiance to Rome. It's not as far away as we think. And if America does it, as they say in Jamaica, when America sneezes, the world catches a cold. The Mark of the Beast, Ellen White says in the book, The Faith I Live By, page 288, she says, what are you doing, brethren, in the great work of preparation? Those who are uniting with the world are receiving the worldly mold and preparing for the mark of the beast. Those who are distrustful of self, I like that one, who are humbling themselves before God and purifying their souls by obeying the truth, these are receiving the heavenly mold and preparing for the seal of God in their foreheads. I did not know when I was a kid in the Adventist church, and they would talk about the mark of the beast and the seal of God. I never understood. I thought it would be like, I don't know if you guys ever watched Dr. Seuss stuff down here, and he, they just stamp one of, the, one of the creatures that Dr. Seuss invented, and you just get a stamp. I thought one day you just get, boop, a stamp in your forehead. I was Adventist all my life, boop, I just get a seal of God in my forehead. I'm good to go now. Ellen White makes it more clear, and it's actually a bit more concerning. She says, in fact, those who are uniting with the world are receiving the worldly mold, and look what she says, they're preparing for the mark of the beast. Those that have the characteristics of humility and, and being distrustful of self are preparing for the seal of God in their foreheads. I did not know when they talked about the seal of God and the mark of the beast when I was a kid, that in fact, every day as I go about my business, I am either preparing my frontal lobe to receive the mark of the beast or the seal of God. Did you know everything we watch, everything we look at all day, every day, we are preparing our minds to receive one of those two marks, or if we've turned our mind off by our daily activities, we may be preparing ourselves to receive the mark of the beast in our hand. So let's get a little more, let's get into the frontal lobe a little more. And in order to do that, I want to give you an analogy. Jesus says in John 2.21, uh, he spoke of his, his, body, uh, his body as a temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19, what? Know you not that the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? So if your body is the temple, one of the things you can take from that is that you can apply the sanctuary message to the anatomy of the human body. Let me say it again before I go to the next slide. If, the, if your body is a temple, the very sanctuary message, a unique message of the Seventh-day Adventist church, can be applied to how the body is laid out. You ready? All right. So, this is, the, this is a picture of the sanctuary here. You can see from the outside. I like this um, kind of more uh, 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 geometric design to, to show what it is. And you can see how beautiful it was and, and all of this. So, if we, if, as a physician, if I apply what I know about anatomy to this, then the outer wall of the sanctuary here would be like your skin. Now, what is interesting is there's no gold on the outer wall. All the gold is on the inside. What is God telling you? Your character is what matters in terms of value. 
what's on the inside, right? So you come in through here, and if I had the full time to give the presentation, when you enter into the courts of God, you enter in with praises and thanksgiving, right? When you come in here, that is like the openings to your body, like your mouth in a sense. When you come in, you hit here the altar of sacrifice. And when you reach the altar of sacrifice, this is where the sin offerings would be laid. You remember? Right? So you'd have to bring a, a lamb without spot or blemish. There's some other animals you could use. Could you, put, could you walk in there with a pig and drop it on the altar? Well, the altar of sacrifice represents the digestive system. That's your stomach. And so whatever you put on in your body is a sacrifice to God. Because just like this had fire, your stomach has hydrochloric acid. And it works to break things down by chemical combustion. Everything we eat is a sacrifice. So it ought to fit what God allows to come in. So that's that. The lavar here is where you could wash, the priest could wash before they went into the holy place. The lavar, that water represents the circulatory system, the blood supply to the body. And just as the blood bathes the body and washes away the waste and brings the nutrients, so the blood of Jesus ought to wash the body of the church, remove the waste of sin, and supply the nutrient of righteousness. So it's an analogy. Here's the, the circulatory system. You go inside, and this is like, 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 uh, like parts of the brain here, the rest of the brain. And I always say this, the showbread is like speech. The word is the bread. The candle, seven candlesticks is like sight. Uh, the altar of incense is, is like uh, speech to some extent. And so all of these things are here. I won't get into detail because we don't have time. What I want to jump to is the fact that there is a place called the most holy place. And what I want to give you is if you lay out the body like the sanctuary, then your most holy place is your frontal lobe. Did you get that? The frontal lobe of the brain is the most holy place. Why? Because in the most holy place, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. In your frontal lobe is where the Holy Spirit is to dwell. So you can look at it a little better here. Here's the most holy place. Here's the, the two angels that covered over them and the Shekinah glory sitting over the mercy seat. Inside is the Ten Commandments, Aaron's budding rod, um, the pot of manna. Each have a meaning if you rule it out, like if you make it's like the front of the Lord. Remember long-term memory? That's the manna. You got to remember what God did. The budding rod, it represents like choice. They had to choose. And it was God's evidence. The Ten Commandments is like your conscience. All sitting in there and the Shekinah glory of God has to fall. How often could the priest go into the most holy place? Could he just go in in his blue jeans and his sneakers? Could he just put on his rockaware gear and rock right in like he wants to? Or FUBU or something? He had to dress in a white clean linen. He had to wash a certain way. In fact, they used to tell us that they, he would have put on a special thing and they'd tie rope around him and there were bells on him and he goes in and, he, and the bells would ring. And if he dropped dead because there was still sin in him, they put a rope around him so they could do what? Pull him out. Some argue whether or not that's accurate. What I will tell you is he definitely, according to the Bible, had to put on special clothes and he could only go in once a year. Here's my point. If God made the frontal lobe of the sanctuary, 
the most holy place, a place where even the high priest could only go when God said he could go and had to dress a certain way and he had to be clean from sin. That's when he could go in. How then do we allow our most holy place to receive any kind of filth and garbage? You can't just watch what you want to watch or listen, as Brother Bradal has been saying all week, to what you want to listen to. You've got to defend and protect the frontal lobe. Why, church? Because that's where the Holy Spirit is working to seal you. The frontal lobe is like the most holy place in the sanctuary. That's where the Shekinah glory of God falls. Judgment and mercy, Isaiah 1.18, all happens right here. Your frontal lobe must be protected. And if you're going to protect it, there are three things and then we're done. Three things you got to know to protect your frontal lobe. The first one, we've been talking about this all week, so I'll go through it quickly. What is entertaining you? If you're not careful, you will pollute the most holy place by what you allow to entertain you. We actually had this verse quoted this morning already. Isaiah 33, 15. He that walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He that despises the gain of oppressions. That shakes his hands from holding of bribes. And look at the last part of this. He says that stops his ears from hearing blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. When Isaiah was writing this, he couldn't have understood that one day we would have cell phones, tablets, computers, internet access, cable television, satellite TVs that would give us access to programming in ways he, Isaiah, could never even imagine. Now watch this. If you are going to be among the righteous, I'm going to show you the next part of this verse in a second. You've got to stop your ears from hearing blood. It's violence. That's disgusting things. You've got to shut your eyes from seeing evil. You can't just watch anything. With a conversation earlier in the week about watching scary movies and stuff. You can't watch movies where the, literally the people who make the movie work for Satan and are making movies where they in introduce you to demons that have been known in the States to jump out of the screen in a movie theater and into people. They've had cases of demon possessions as people watch some of these movies. You've got to be careful that you're not seeing evil. Why? Because if you can do that, Isaiah 33, 16 says, you'll dwell on high. Your place of defense will be diminutions of rocks. Bread will be given to you and your water will be sure. Look at this in verse 17 it says, Your eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. If you watch the wrong thing now, it might stop you from seeing the king in his beauty later on. From seeing the land that is very far off. If you watch the wrong stuff now and pollute the frontal lobe, and I'm going to show you why this matters in a second, you will literally... Tip the scale of salvation against yourself. Why? Because music. We've been talking about music a lot this week, so I'll go quickly through this. And the, the lesson I want to give you here is if this is your frontal lobe here, notice that all of the auditory centers are mostly back here. Music bypasses the frontal lobe of the brain. Did you get that? Music slips in so that if you sing a word to somebody, it will actually penetrate their subconscious and their conscious mind better than if you just say a word to them. That's why even the ugly crooners, a crooner is a singer, they'll get up there and sing a romantic song and the girls go wild. 
Dude looked like he fell through the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. But he starts singing the right way and girls start going crazy. Or play the saxophone the right way and girls go crazy. There's something powerful about music. We talked about that this week. But music simultaneously stimulates the left and the right hemisphere of the brain. Not much does that. It boosts learning and information intake, therefore augmenting cognitive skills. Learning may be increased five-fold. Music can aid in the production of serotonin, affecting feelings of satisfaction. So music can be used to get you hooked, so you need to hear it. Serotonin makes you feel more calm, more relaxed. Messes with that frontal lobe if it's the wrong kind of music. But you learn better. I have two doctoral degrees, and if I have to figure out what letter comes after V, a, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. And there are times when I was in school I needed to learn something and I'd actually try and put it to music to remember it. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is why the devil wants, and this happened at the Second Vatican Council back in the 1960s, what they want to do is remove the hymns and any songs that would, would contain doctrine out of churches. And they want to move in with the emotional, sensual, as, as Brother Bredal's been showing, music into the church. So that you come to church and your emotional part of your frontal lobe is stimulated while the reasoning part, the learning impact that music has is shut off. When you sing the hymns, you get doctrine, you get truth. But a lot of this music is really what I call 7-Eleven music. It's just seven words, 11 times. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right. So why is music so important? Here's Jay-Z and Beyonce, who right now are the king and queen of, of music. They make more money in the States than any entertainers as a, as a couple. But I want to show you, who do you think is running the show when she would make a symbol like this? You know what this symbol is? This is 666. Each finger is the top of a six, and it all comes together at the bottom. Each one makes a six. This is why you see in this symbol all over the place. And notice what she does. To signify the all-seeing eye of Satan, she puts it over her left eye on the sinistro, on the sinister side of her body. I could, I could do a whole thing on just this. But I want to show you, you've got to ask yourself, who's making the music you're listening to? What is the motivation behind the music? Well, because even Jay-Z here, this is a, in the video where Jay-Z is about to make the music 99 Problems. This is Rick Rubin who helped him start Def Jam Records. And in the, in the song 99, in the video making of the song 99 Problems, as they're going into the studio, they have a book here and it says magic, black and white. And the camera focuses in on it to show you that in fact, the devil is going to be a part of the music making process. I don't know if you guys ever remember a group called Color Me Bad. They had a song that said, I want to sex you up. I hope none of y'all ever heard it, but the way some of you are smiling, I can tell you did. It's all right. In the name of Jesus, you've been washed by the blood of the lamb. <laughs> but one of the guys who was in that group, that group just disappeared. You know why? Because one or two of the singers, one of the black singers, it was a great group because what was nice about the group is there were two black guys, two white guys. And that's why they call themselves Color Me Bad. And they, were, they hit number one with that song. But one of the black guys returned to his Christian roots, gave up the music world, and he was, they were offered millions of millions of dollars. He said, I won't take it, and he became a pastor. 
When he was interviewed as a pastor, G. Craig Lewis from the Truth Behind Hip Hop series, one of my friends in the States, he actually was interviewed, interviewed him, and the guy said, when we made the song, I Wanna Sex You Up, they brought witches into the studio and they put a curse on the record. And the curse was that 14-year-old girls would wanna give up their virginity when they heard the song, I Wanna Sex You Up. He says at the time, he thought it was all just foolish, hocus-pocus Hollywood stuff. He says what shocked him, what scared him, was when the music, when the song went to number one, all over Europe, Australia, South Africa, all over the world, they began to get letters from 14-year-old girls all over the planet that says, thank you for making this song. It gave me the courage to give up my virginity. Protect your frontal lobe. In fact, they make the song, we are the world. We are the children, right? It says, we are the ones to make a brighter day. Just who? You and me. They used to sing this song in church in America. Choirs would sing, we are the world, we are the children, and everybody's getting all happy. They didn't know that even in this is Luciferianism. Let me blow your mind. You, let me show you who's in here. There's Celine Dion, um, Dion Warwick. I forget her name. There's Wyclef. Um, LL Cool J's back here. Tony Braxton. Um, Usher. Justin Bieber. All these big name stars singing. Listen to what the song actually says. I'm not like Christian, I don't like playing these songs, so I'm not gonna play it, but here it is. As he says here, oh, send them your heart so they know that someone cares and their lives will be stronger and free. Look at the line, it says, as God has shown us by turning stones to bread and so we all must lend a helping hand. Wait a minute, I read my Bible. When did God turn stone to bread? Jesus was tempted, and he is God, to turn stone to bread. Did he do it? What would have happened if Jesus had to turn the stone to bread? We'd all be lost. Power of music. To turn the minds away from Christ towards the enemy. First Samuel 16, 23, to make this point, I want to show you another Bible verse. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit did what? It departed from him. Now let me ask you a question. If you can play an evil spirit out of someone, can you play an evil spirit into someone? That, my friends is the power of music. Ecclesiastes 7, 5 says, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear what? The song of fools. Spiritually, are the people making these songs wise? No. Better you hear the rebuke of the wise. Better you come to church and hear stuff that is difficult. You know why I'm a Christian today? I went to Oakwood University and those preachers would stomp on our toes every Sabbath, every Wednesday night, Friday night at AY. They would stomp on our toes. You'd walk out of church limping because they are messing with all the stuff you like. You go to a church and you can walk out and don't feel nothing. Like, the, like, like our brother the chef said this morning, something's wrong with your church. You've got to preach a straight truth. Warn folk of what's coming on this world. But the second one is defending on your mind. What brings you joy? See the alcohol there? Alcohol is running rampant. Do they, do they drink a lot of alcohol here like in America? 
Oh man, alcohol has just taken over America. In fact, this cartoonist, he made, and, 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 uh, and there's an article that goes with this, United States of Addiction. You see that? The Statue of Liberty with needles instead of her halo, and the Congress is sleeping as Americans are dying 130 plus a day, die right now of opiate overdoses in the United States of America. A day. That's like a plane crashing every day. That's how bad this thing is. And you know why is this bad? Because when I was, do, I used to do addiction medicine, or as I trained in it, and one of the veterans at the VA hospital in Loma Linda, California, he had a saying that really resonated with me. He would chant with the rest of the group, God made the human heart so big that only he can fill it. Did you get that? God made the human heart so big only he can fill it. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you try and fill the God-sized hole in your heart with cocaine, with alcohol, with, 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 with heroin, you'll become addicted to that thing. He said, gambling, any of that stuff, it, you will become addicted to it. There's a God-sized hole in every one of our hearts. And unless you fill that hole with God, you'll find something else to replace it and it will cause you a problem. But some people say, well, Jesus turned the water into wine and they say, well, Paul said a little wine for the stomach's sake. And I saw on CNN where they said, if you drink a glass of wine every night, you'll live longer. But they're not telling you the whole story. The truth is it's resveratrol in wine that actually gives you the benefits and you get that more and better straight from the grape, the blackberry, the blueberry, the mango. You get it better from the dark fruits. You get what I'm saying? So here's what the Bible says about whether or not you should drink alcohol. Because I've gone to Adventist churches where they have wine connoisseur in the, in the church. Proverbs 23, 31, look that not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. At the last, it bites like a serpent and does what? It stings like an adder. Look at verse 33. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Woo! First of all, what it's describing here is fermentation. That's what Solomon is describing. He is describing that at some point, wine switches from just being grape juice to being wine when it is fermented. He's saying once the wine ferments, don't touch it. Because it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. How does a serpent come? It sneaks up on you to get you. Then he says, your eyes shall behold strange women. You hear what I'm saying? I got a whole bunch of stuff I can say about this. I don't know if y'all know my references though. I'll give you one. In other words, the reason, young ladies, when you go to a club, the guys want to buy you a drink is because he might come in there looking like Flavor Flav. Y'all know who Flavor Flav is? But you have three drinks, he started looking like Denzel Washington. <laughs> that happened to my uncle. My uncle is a Christian now. But when he, and Jamaicans like white rum, it's powerful. I mean, you can fuel an, a car engine with this stuff. Burn holes through walls. And he, he was so drunk one night, he blacked out. My uncle blacked out. He said the next morning he woke up in a house, in a bed with a woman he had never seen before. My uncle said he looked over. He said the woman was so unattractive. All he could do was scream, ah! Or like a Jamaican, why? My uncle said he's putting on his clothes, running down the street in the snow. 
Because alcohol takes away your ability to make sensible judgment because it blocks the chemical I referred to earlier called GABA. My Jamaican grandmother would say, a drunk man's tongue is a sober man's mind. And many in the church are being destroyed by the seduction and the serpent-like nature of alcohol. But it's not just alcohol, it's also marijuana. I don't have time to get into this. In America, they are legalizing marijuana anywhere, everywhere. When I was in South Africa last week, I asked them, I said, is marijuana getting here too? They said, absolutely. The use of, of marijuana has, is shooting up around the world because these rappers like Snoop Dogg and Method Man and Red Man are making songs that literally promote marijuana use as if it is harmless. Sanjay Gupta went on CNN and had a whole special on marijuana and all of its medicinal purposes, but they're not telling you the whole story. In fact, chronic marijuana use in higher dosages are correlate now to greater incidence of psychosis and schizophrenia, the studies show. I'll go through this quick. It's more potent than ever before. Marijuana-induced psychosis is real. It changes spatial perception, a spatial, uh, changes spatial and time perceptions, which increases car accidents, decreases memory, and it suppresses the immune system. You see all the movies they make promoting marijuana use? Whole bunches of them. But marijuana works different from every other drug. It works not on the presynaptic part of the nerve uh, uh, synapse, on the postsynaptic. In other words, marijuana messes with the receptor on the back of the nerve. I wish I had time to explain all this better. It works on the back of the nerves. Everything else works up here. Cocaine, um, heroin, they all, uh, alcohol, all work up here. Marijuana works down here. So what it does is when it messes up the receptor, you don't get the, the pleasure out of normal things you're supposed to get. That's why it causes something called amotivational syndrome, where you don't want to work and you don't want to do anything. We're talking about the importance of work earlier today. It takes away that away. That's why weed heads just stop doing everything. But it does some other things. Marijuana damages the memory, so it's harder for you to go to school at the same time. And it blocks GABA as well, making people behave very differently. Marijuana is going to cause America a major major, and Canada. Canada has completely legalized it, and America, state by state, it's being legalized. This is one of the devil's tools. Why? Because if you're high, you can't reason. This is why the Bible says over and over and over again, be sober, be sober, be sober, be vigilant, be sober, be sober. Why? Because you can't reason, Isaiah 1:18. if you're intoxicated. This is why the scripture says, the drunk will not inherit the kingdom of God. The last one, what are you studying? 2 Timothy 2.15, if you want to defend the frontal lobe of your mind, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that not be, need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Study to show yourself approved, not to Yale or Harvard, but to God. Verse 16 says to shun profane and vain babblings. That's rap music. That is hip-hop. It is profane and it's vain. And I know in Africa, hip hop is huge. I was in South Africa, the last time I was in South Africa, I was in Johannesburg at the airport waiting to go the next day to Port Elizabeth. And I said, let me see, let me learn some South African culture. I turned it on to an African TV channel. Not an, I didn't want an American one. And they were showing the music videos for African rap artists. You know what blew my mind? How much like Americans they have devolved to as Christian would say. They were even using the N-word to describe themselves like in America. The women were, it was just as misogynistic. 
Hip-hop music, remember it was started out of a religion called the 5% Nation of Islam, where they teach that the black man is God. And so the very way that the music is presented is one that says, I'm God, I get to make my own rules. It is Luciferian. The drinking, the drugging, the sex, all a part of that. Leave it alone. It will damage your frontal lobe's ability to receive the Shekinah glory of God. That's why so many young people don't want to come to church. They have those spirits that they're listening to and watching all week. When they come to church and you sing the beautiful music that you sing, they, there's, the other spirit that's been in them all week can't stand it. Say, take me out of church. I don't want to go to church. I don't want this evil spirit coming in contact with the spirit of God. So the young people don't want to come to church. And what does the church do? As we were learning from Brother Christian all week. The church says, well, let's just make our music like theirs. That doesn't work. You got to get the spirit out of that child. Research has long established that teens who watch movies or listen to music that glamorizes drinking, drug use, or violence tend to engage in those behaviors themselves. A 2012 study shows that movies influence teen sexual attitudes and behaviors as well. The study published in the Psychological Science, that is not the Review and Herald, that's not the Science of the Times, this is a secular psychological mag uh, journal, peer-reviewed journal, Psychological Science found that the more teens were exposed to sexual content in the movies, the earlier they started having sex and the likelier they were to have casual, unprotected sex. I showed you earlier in the week that in fact last year, America had the highest rate of sexually transmitted diseases in the history of the country, by far. Diseases like syphilis are back and even gonorrhea that once was easily treated with penicillin tablets, now we have one drug left that has consistently shown no resistance. We will soon not be able to even treat gonorrhea. Because young people are watching all of this filth and then they're beginning to practice it. You know what the spirit of prophecy says? By beholding, you become changed. You can't watch it and it not affect you. In fact, this is one of the, the consequences. And I, I'm, I, stay with me for this because there's somebody in here who needs to hear this. A growing number of young men are convinced that their physical and in-person sexual responses have been sabotaged because their brains were virtually marinated in pornography when they were adolescents. Their generation has consumed explicit content in quantities and varieties never before possible on devices designed to deliver content swiftly and privately, all at an age when their brains were more plastic, more prone to permanent change than in later life. These young men feel, watch this, these young men feel like unwitting guinea pigs in a largely unmonitored decade-long experiment in sexual conditioning. There is a movement you can go online and find where young men are saying, are, are giving backlash to the fact that they were told that there's nothing wrong with porn. It's normal for boys to look at porn. No, it's not. When David was out there watching his father's sheep, he wasn't watching any porn. David was out there killing bears and lions. And what happens is this stuff bathes the brain of young men. Now when you later on, you find a girl, you fall in love, and you go to get married, you can't even find sexual satisfaction because she cannot meet the fantasy that has made a standard for you in your brain around intimacy. 
and your frontal lobe is wiped out. This is what the devil is trying to do. If you're a young man and you're struggling, and I, when I do this in the States, and we make altar calls, some young women come down. If this is your struggle, this is something you need to take to prayer, find someone you can trust and deal with it. It will eat up your life. Marriages are ruined because a man is sitting on a computer in a room while his wife is in the bedroom. Satan stands ready to infatuate the mind and soul to pursue a course directly contrary to God's express will that he may separate that soul from God and he interposes his temptations and gains control over the mind and the heart's affections. This is Satan's studied plan to lead souls to turn from one mighty in counsel to the persuasion of minds who have no love for God, no love for the truth. He wants you following Steven Spielberg and all the other Hollywood producers. He wants you keeping up with the Kardashians. That's what the devil wants so that you don't follow Jesus, your Lord. Ellen White says it like this, last thing on the mark of the beast. I wanna give you this. The tempter stands by to accuse them as he stood by to, to resist Joshua. He points to their filthy garments, their defective characters. He presents their weakness and folly, their sins of ingratitude, their unlikeness to Christ, which has dishonored their redeemer. He endeavors to affright the soul with the thought that their case is hopeless, that the stain of their defilement will never be washed away. The devil wants you to believe that you will never be right with God. Never. He hopes to so destroy their faith that they will yield to his temptations, turn from their allegiance to God, and receive the mark of the beast. Did you get that? He doesn't want you to deal with your sin problem. That's what this is saying. So that if you never deal with your sin problem, you feel like you're too much of a sinner to ever come to God. Once you're so separated from God, he now steps in and convinces you that you might as well keep sinning and you fall into temptation more. And when you do this now, you now turn from your allegiance to God. And what do you receive? The mark of the beast. And revolution and rebellion against God. What mark are you preparing for? Philippians 2 and verse 5 says it like this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let me close with a, a quick story. I know I'm out of time, but I like to finish with a good sermon story. Story is a true story from out of the nation of Armenia. It was a great time in the country. A father was having breakfast with his son. And the little boy said over breakfast, Daddy, I want you to take me to school. The little boy's name was Armand. Armand said, Daddy, take me to school. The father said, yeah, son, I got a busy day today. I don't have time. The son pleaded, please, Daddy. He said, all right, hurry up, let's go. This little boy was so happy, jumped up, got his stuff together, ran behind his daddy. Father skirted him off, got him hurried up, got him to school really quickly. The little boy ran into the schoolhouse. Uh, he stopped. He came back. He went to his daddy. He said, Daddy, I need you to promise me something else. He said, Daddy, promise me that you'll come back to get me. The father said, Son, I don't know. I'm busy at work today. He said, Daddy, promise me. The father said, All right, I'll skip lunch. I'll come back and I'll get you early. The little boy was so happy. He ran into school. He was just so happy his dad was going to come back and get him after school. The father went to work, and within a couple of hours of being at work, 
the ground started to shake. The, the building began to sway. A mighty earthquake hit Armenia. It shook the building. Things began to fall out of the ceiling. The father ran into the street. And as he looked around at the destruction the earthquake had caused in just a, a portion of a minute, his mind turned to his son at the school. The father ran back across town through the screams of people and the sirens blaring and the alarms going off. And he gets to the school where his, his son is and the building is in complete ruin. It's rubble. By now, other parents have already gathered outside the school and they're weeping and crying over their children. The father looks around the building. He slips to the side where he thinks his son would be and he climbs up on the rubble. He starts picking up concrete and brick and throwing it aside. The other parents say, what are you doing? Are you crazy? They're, they're all dead. Get down from there. He ignores them. He picks up another piece of brick and he throws it to the side. The police come by. The police say, sir, get down. This is dangerous. Don't make us arrest you. The man knows there's no prison for them. Jail for them to put them in right now. So he stays there, he keeps picking up the brick and tossing it aside. The fire rescue people say, sir, that's dangerous. A few hours later, they come, get down. The man ignores them and keeps picking up brick, throwing it 24 hours later, hungry, thirsty, hands bleeding from the cut rock and glass that he's picking up. He's standing there, picking up, tossing to the side. 30 hours later, no sleep. No food. The father's still there, picking up the brick, tossing it to the side. 36 hours later, he, he's standing in, in rubble, is lightheaded and faint. He's weak from the night's work. He picks up a brick and he tosses it to the side and he sees a, a chasm, a dark pit, and the father stands over the pit and he cries out, Armand! Armand! little frail voice from inside the darkness cries back out, yes, daddy. The father reaches over and says, son, are you all right in there? The little boy says, daddy, I'm all right and so are all of my classmates. He said, I think some of us have some broken arms and daddy, we're awful hungry. But I told my friends, don't worry. I said, my daddy made a promise. He told me he was coming back to get me. Let me tell you something, church. I know this world is terrible. I know it's like an earthquake. I know the buildings of society are beginning to collapse. But you've got to tell your classmates. You've got to let them know that your daddy's made a promise. Your daddy is coming back to get you. That's right. Jesus is about to return. And I know my time is up, but I do want to make an appeal. A last one for the week. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Jackie, just sing the first verse of that song if you can. I know the time is up. I'm sorry. But maybe somebody wants to give their life to Jesus today. Maybe somebody's been here all week. Or maybe you just came today. 
You want to be ready when Jesus comes. You want the seal of God, not the mark of the beast. You want to be preparing for God's seal. That has to start happening now in what you listen to and what you watch and all of those different things. You've got to be serious about it. You've got to surrender everything to it. Praise the Lord. Is there anybody else? Praise the Lord. Anybody else you want to give your life to Jesus today? Just come on down. Come on down, my brother. Praise the Lord. He's been getting sign language here. Give me a hug, sir. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Is there anybody else? You want to give your life to Jesus today? Don't be shy. Don't worry about what your friends will think. Don't worry about what, what everybody else is doing. Everybody else does not, have a, does not have a heaven to promise you or a hell to send you to. You want to give your life to Jesus today. It's a serious time. The church is praying. The church is praying just a little longer. You want to give your life to Do not be afraid to get up and come down front. Jesus stood up for you. He proclaimed you before the Father. He says, but if you deny me on earth, I'm going to deny you before my Father. Praise God. There's another one coming. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? You want to come down front? Praise God. Is there anybody else? You want to give your life to Jesus today? Anybody else? I'm going to have my wife just keep singing. And while she sings the ver one more verse, I can see that there are more people moving. Just come on down front. I know, I know the hour is late, but this is, this is God's work now. Anybody else, praise the Lord. Just make your way down front. Don't be shy. That tugging you feel on your heart, that is the Holy Spirit pulling on your heart. He wants to seal your mind. Is there anybody else? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word today. Lord, you say your word cannot go out and come back void. So Father God, right now, Lord, we thank you for those who have come down front. Lord, as we read in your word today, we pray, Lord, that this decision that they have made would be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And Father God, they would never turn one to the right nor to the left from the truth of the word of the living God. That they would have an abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that they would come to know him as their savior and friend and God. But Father God, there are others who are still sitting who should have come. Lord, they're still there. They're worrying about what they might have to give up. They're worrying about what their friends might think. Lord, I pray today that they would have no rest until they are resting in the arms of Jesus. No peace until they find the peace that you give that passes all understanding. Oh, Father God, bless us on this, your holy Sabbath day, that we would be ready, sealed by the power of the Holy Ghost with the seal of the living God, ready when Jesus comes. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.